Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. Have you heard the news? The best podcast for dinosaur fans is out and a roaring good time for all. What happens when a bolt of lightning hits a digger machine on top of a site that's full of dinosaur fossils? Uh, the digger turns into Digger Rex, of course. Join Digger Rex, the half-dinosaur, half-digger, on his adventures by searching for Digger Rex on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and custodian of those creepy tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. We'll explore the weird, the scary, and everything in between. Today is another chilling tale. So get ready, Story Club members. This spine-tingling story will give you the creeps and make you want to crawl into someplace safe. It's an unsettling little tale I like to call 10,000 Tiny Feet. Darcy Briggs clobbered a big black spider with her thick school book. Gotcha, she thought. She didn't like spiders. They gave her the absolute creeps. One of her first memories of spiders was when she was about two years old. Her mom had taken her to a park and sat her down on a blanket. While her mom was busy preparing a milk bottle from the bag, Darcy encountered what she found out years later was a wolf spider. They're a large predatory spider that carries their young spiderettes on their back until they're old enough and strong enough to fend for themselves. Darcy had put her chubby little hand on the spider and a hundred baby spiders crawled up her small arm. She screamed, as two-year-olds are known to do. It was one of her earliest memories that seemed like yesterday, even though it was nine years ago. Since then, Darcy couldn't even so much as look at a picture of a spider without going into complete shock. She would suck in her breath, her muscles would spasm, and she'd break out in a sweat. Doctors called it arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. She didn't feel so bad to learn that she wasn't alone, that many people have this particular phobia of eight-legged fuzzy things that spun webs and were often found in bedrooms and bathrooms uninvited. As she grew up, people who heard of Darcy's phobia would try to tell her that spiders were a beneficial creature. They were natural pest control for farmers, gardeners, and homes, as one spider during its lifetime could eat hundreds of insects. Ants, flies, termites, mosquitoes, moths, beetles, grasshoppers, aphids, mites, and even other spiders. There were orb-weaving spiders, trapdoor spiders, jumping spiders, wolf spiders, cave spiders, and... Ugh, black widow spiders. But it didn't matter. She hated them all. She couldn't even watch Spider-Man movies with her friends as the word spider gave her uncontrollable chills. In her kindergarten class, she was once laughed at when her teacher was reading the Mother Goose tale, Little Miss Muffet, where a spider sits down beside her. The teacher, aptly named Mrs. Weaver, had shown a picture from the book. The little girl had looked just like Darcy and the spider was a massive, multi-eyed, furry-faced monster. It was the most hideous thing she had ever seen. 
To this day, she couldn't believe such a graphic illustration of a predatory arachnid like that cursed the pages of a children's book. What were they thinking? Darcy did not want to touch the school book she clobbered the spider with. She would have her mother do it in the morning. Her mother was the only one who seemed to understand. She had an older brother, Joey, who used to taunt her endlessly with rubber spiders, hiding them in drawers. Her father thought it was funny, but her mom put a stop to it. Her mother was her single ally who seemed to care that these furry arthropods nearly gave her a heart attack. Over her 11 years, Darcy had rid the world of what she thought might be over a thousand spiders. That was something like 10,000 tiny feet that would no longer crawl or scurry or climb. 10,000 tiny feet silenced forever, and she was okay with that. She always cheered when the lawn professional would come each spring and spray the front and the backyard with pesticides. She imagined thousands of spiders in the grass and on the side of the house choking and dying from the toxins being sprayed by the pest control expert. But before she went to sleep, Darcy had a terrifying thought. What if all those spiders suddenly came back to life at once? What if they came after her for revenge? The thought made her shrink into bed a little more and pull the covers tighter. But then she shook her head. What a dumb idea. That was only a fantasy. The kind of unrealistic thoughts you had when you were halfway to sleep and almost to a dreamlike state. That night, though, she dreamed of spiders. Orb weavers, trapdoor spiders, jumping spiders, black widows, even tarantulas. Yep, those massive spidery monsters, too. She lived in the Southwest, so they were also prevalent. In her dream, Darcy hit spiders with a flamethrower. When her flamethrower was out of fuel, she escaped down a long hall. But she discovered the white walls were not painted, but webbing, and she was walking through a massive funnel web. At the end of it, crouched and waiting to spring, was a coiled spider the size of a lion. She woke up, screaming, her bedsheets soaked in sweat. Oh man, that was the worst dream she ever had. The absolute worst. She was about to get up to go to the bathroom to wash her face and maybe get a drink of water when she heard it. A strange shuffling sound. It was quiet at first, but then it grew louder. It was coming down the hall. Like the sound of tiny brushes scrubbing the hardwood floor, wedging under the large crack of her shut bedroom door. She was too afraid to move. But with a burst of courage, she quickly did, snapping on the bedside light. That's when she saw the hardwood bedroom floor had a carpet of spiders moving across the room toward the bed. The shuffling was 10,000 tiny feet, and they were coming for her. Okay, I'm going to stop right there, as this story is kind of freaking me out. Can you imagine all those tiny little legs crawling toward you? Make it stop. Ah, what tangled webs we weave, am I right? Hello, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, keeper of those strange and scary tales that are unearthed daily from the hidden vault of the master of macabre himself, R.L. Stein. Today, we're going to do something a little different and scary. This is the first episode of my Urban Legend series. What is an urban legend exactly? Well, it's a story that you might have heard from a friend, family member, or cycling around on the internet. 
that's usually humorous and or spooky. As you guessed, we'll err on the side of the latter. So buckle up, Story Club members. This creepy crawly tale that I heard from my third cousin's mom's best friend's sister will put goosebumps on your goosebumps. It's an icky little tale that I call, Here's an Earful. Our story starts in the home of Tucker and Jenny. Now the names in this tale have been changed to protect the innocent, even though Tucker isn't so innocent. You see, he's the kid brother of Jenny. Tucker has always liked to play practical jokes on others. Why? Well, he's one of those people who likes to get attention. It doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. He's just one of those kids whose brain is wired that way. One morning, Tucker put ants in the sugar bowl. As the half-asleep Jenny was spooning some of the sweet stuff on her morning cornflakes, she screamed, noticing that it was crawling with huge black ants. Her brother, of course, was recording the entire thing on his phone so he could upload it to social media. He was always trying to do outrageous things like that to his sister, family, and friends to get more likes on his pages. After Jenny's parents found out what Tucker did, they put their foot down. But not on the ants, thankfully. They were released back into the garden. It was summer, and while Jenny was going to the city swimming pool with her friends, Tucker was tasked to clean out the garage, which was a huge mess after the door had been left up and a dust storm had blown dirt and grime inside. Under his breath, Tucker vowed that he would get Jenny back. Which is ridiculous, right? He's the one who started it. But that's just who Tucker was. As he was cleaning the garage on a hot July day, Tucker discovered a swarming mass of earwigs against a concrete wall that was hidden by a moldy old box. He grabbed a mason jar and scooped some in, especially a big fat one. That night before bed, Tucker snuck into his sister's room, went to her bed, lifted up her pillow, and dumped about a half a dozen earwigs onto the bed. He then covered them up with a pillow. Except plot twist, Tucker's mom noticed him in his sister's room. He hid the jar behind his back and said he was looking for his earbuds, which he thought might be in Jenny's room. Not only was Tucker a chronic practical joker, he was also a fairly good liar too. His mother believed him. One thing Tucker didn't notice though, is that all of the earwigs, except one, crawled out from under Jenny's pillow, crept down the mattresses, and escaped into a crack in the wall. The single earwig hitched a ride on the back of Tucker's shorts. That night, as Tucker climbed out of his clothes and put on his pajamas, the big, fat earwig that had ridden on his shorts had climbed onto the comforter of his bed and hid in one of the creases. If I had some suspenseful music, I would play it right here. Bear with me. Da da da! The next morning, Tucker woke up with the worst earache he ever had. Not only was it painful, but it was also quite itchy. He went into the bathroom to try to see if something was in there, but he couldn't see it. Grabbing a Q-tip, he dug around in his ear, but it only made the pain worse. And what's more, the pain seemed to crawl inside him. He could feel it within his entire head. Worried, Tucker's mother took him to an otolaryngologist. Otolaryngologists are medical doctors who treat problems of the ears, nose, and throat. Try saying otolaryngologist three times fast. Dr. Peterson took one look with his scopes, and sure enough, 
A big, fat earwig had made its home inside Tucker's ear canal during the night as Tucker slept. The insect was too far inside Tucker's ear for the doctor to remove it. He worried that he might damage Tucker's eardrum, so he prescribed some medical drops to put in his ear daily. It might coax the earwig out. As you can imagine, over the next few days, Tucker didn't feel like playing any practical jokes on anyone. Though his sister was often annoyed with her younger brother, she mostly felt bad for him. Tucker never revealed what he had tried to do to his sister, as he didn't want to get into more trouble. This was one practical joke that severely backfired, and he would have to own up to it himself. After several days of applying the eardrops, the pain and itching had stopped. Tucker's mom returned him to Dr. Peterson. With his special earscope, the doctor saw the earwig. It had died. The good news was that it was now in a place he could remove it without damaging Tucker's eardrum. The medical professional pulled it out with a special pair of needle-nose pliers. Tucker wanted to see the invading dead insect. It was then he realized that the earwig was the big fat one that was crawling around in the garage. Oh no, the doctor said. What? Tucker asked. Well, it was a female, and it was pregnant. She died after laying eggs inside your ear. At that moment, Tucker felt the tiny little eggs hatch inside his ear canal, and the tiny little thing squirming within. The other patients in Dr. Peterson's office heard his screams all the way in the waiting room. So, let's hope Dr. Peterson can figure out a way to remove all the tiny earwigs out of Tucker's ear before they wander all the way into his brain. Who knows what kind of damage they can do, right? I think we've learned a pretty valuable lesson here today. Don't play tricks on your friends or family. They may just backfire in ways you don't expect. Do you like to laugh? Ah, uh, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello there, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host with the most and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This squirmy tale, Story Club members, might give you a serious case of the creepy crawlies. It's one I call As the Worm Turns. Look, it's the worms, they're back again! Aunt Harriet pointed at the ceiling in the family room. Do you see them, Caitlin? Right there by the chandelier, they're long and brown. Yes, Aunt Harriet, Caitlin Ross lied for the thousandth time. I see them, they're gross. Caitlin found it was better not to dispute with Aunt Harriet. Just agree with her, and she usually falls back to sleep again. Aunt Harriet suffers from dementia, or that's what the doctor said. She sees things that aren't really there. 
sometimes she carries on entire conversations with herself too. Aunt Harriet came to live with Caitlin a few months ago. Her uncle Gus had died and her aunt couldn't handle living alone. Rather than putting old Aunt Harriet in a nursing home, they brought her home to live with them. It's called assisted living. A nurse comes in every day to check on Aunt Harriet. Caitlin's family decided that it was simply too cruel to leave Aunt Harriet alone with strangers. She gets so lonely. The nurse said that seeing worms is a common and unfortunate side effect of dementia and the medication that Aunt Harriet was prescribed sometimes made it worse. So that was that. Caitlin's parents had gone out to the movies for the evening, so she was home taking care of her aunt alone. She made spaghetti, which was pretty easy to do. Just heat up some noodles in water, pour some canned spaghetti sauce on it, and serve. Voila! Plus, soft foods were easier for Aunt Harriet to digest. Caitlin put down a couple of trays in the family room so they could eat while watching TV. But Aunt Harriet hadn't touched the now limp and cold pasta on her plate. Hey, have some bites of your food, okay, Aunt Harriet? The old woman dipped her fork into the nest of noodles and twirled it around. Worms, she said, raising a fork full of spaghetti. All worms, everything is all worms. Aunt Harriet had not been this bad before. She would usually say worms and then fall asleep. She seemed agitated tonight. Do you need some of your medication? What about the nurse? Do I need to call her? I don't need medication, dear, and I don't need a nurse. I can see what's in front of me just fine. If you can't see them, those worms, wiggling around on the ceiling and on your plate, maybe it's you who needs the medication. That's not very nice, Aunt Harriet. I'm just trying to help. Caitlin hoped her aunt would fall asleep so she could get a little peace. She continued watching TV in silence. She dipped her fork down into the spaghetti, twirled a forkful, and brought it to her mouth. Then, Caitlin peered at the end of the fork. She saw worms. The noodles resembled writhing worms. Caitlin dropped her fork and shoved the TV tray away. She glanced over at Aunt Harriet, who smiled slightly, then turned away, staring up at the ceiling. Later, Caitlin dumped the two plates of half-eaten spaghetti down the sink disposer. The mechanical mouth grumbled and swallowed the wormy noodles without complaint. She switched off the disposal and, in silence, could hear the night rain patter on the kitchen window. It seemed dark outside, darker than usual. Caitlin bent closer to peer out the window, and that's when she realized something was covering it. Something alive that wriggled and moved. Worms. A wall of squirming worms were pressed against the glass, their brown bodies eclipsing the streetlight outside. Crash! Caitlin dropped the dinner plates in the sink and they exploded. What's going on in here? Aunt Harriet said, hunching over in the doorway. I saw... Caitlin started to say. It was... Then she pointed and looked again. The reassuring silver glow of the streetlight outside peeked through the window. The worms, if there were any worms, were gone. Nothing, it's nothing. Aunt Harriet chuckled, mumbled something under her breath, and then walked away. The phone rang and Caitlin answered it. Hey, sweetie, how are things going with Aunt Harriet? Her mom asked. Everything okay? Yeah, I'm fine, mom, Caitlin said, trying to sound calm. We had dinner and are about to play a game. That's good. Your dad and I finished dinner and we're about to head to the movie theater. We should be back home around 10 o'clock. I can handle things here until then. I know you can, Caitlin. Just calling to check in. Goodbye. Caitlin didn't want to spoil her mom and dad's night out. They didn't get to go out alone very often, especially since Aunt Harriet came to live with them. Plus, what was she supposed to say anyway? Oh, and mom, I think I'm starting to see worms, just like crazy old Aunt Harriet does. The rest of the night went much better. She played Go Fish with Aunt Harriet, her favorite card game. Caitlin was surprised that someone who supposedly suffered from dementia like her aunt did played so well. 
Aunt Harriet was as sharp as a tack and beat her almost every game. But Caitlin was okay with that, because during that time, Harriet didn't mention worms once. She actually seemed like a normal person, and that made Caitlin feel normal too. What she saw on her fork and on the kitchen window? That was because of Aunt Harriet. She put those images in her head with all her crazy talk. Worms? Ridiculous. Caitlin put her aunt to bed. Luckily, no talk of worms there either. Aunt Harriet fell right to sleep. After brushing her teeth and looking over a few pages of math problems in her textbook, Caitlin headed for bed. She flipped on the light. Poof. The bedroom light flashed on for a brief moment, then burnt out. Eh, no matter. She could see her bed in the light from the window. The rain streaming down on her window made strange shadows across her bedspread. The rainy shadows wriggling across it almost looked like snakes. Or worms. It made the bed covers appear like they were moving too. Like there was something under them wiggling around. Nonsense. Aunt Harriet was just getting to her head again. In defiance, Caitlin yanked back the bedspread. She saw nothing but clean white sheets. She slid into bed and started to go to sleep, but something was tickling her toes and the bottom of her feet. Something wet, something cold, something wiggly. Like spaghetti. But that's not what it was. Caitlin jumped out of the bed and pulled her cover all the way off. At the foot of her bed, a slimy pulsating mass of brown and black squirmed and climbed all over each other. Worms! Caitlin tried to scream, but couldn't. She'd gone hoarse. She could only watch in disgust as hundreds of three-inch invaders slimed her bedsheets. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play ping-pong on your snout. That song has always given me shivers since I was a little kid. Yeah, beloved listeners, I don't think I'm going to be eating spaghetti anytime soon. Or chow men for that matter. Ugh. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This creepy tale, Story Club members, might make you stand on a chair and scream. It's one I call, Oh Rats. Liam Hall sprayed down the concrete floor with a blast of the hose. Dirt and grit turned the water the color of coffee. There are better ways to spend my Saturday, Liam thought. Cleaning the garage is the pits. He dropped the hose, grabbed the push broom, and brushed the dirty water and mud out of the garage and onto the lawn. I'd rather be inside watching the baseball game with Dad, Liam thought. I'd rather go to the dentist than do this. On Thursday, a dust storm had swept through town, leaving a thick layer of dust over cars, houses, and inside garages. At least this garage in particular. Liam had accidentally left the garage door open during the storm. He often entered the house through the back door in the garage, and he often left the garage door wide open. They'd only moved to a new neighborhood a little over a month ago. The house and the garage were clean when Liam and his family moved in, but not now. Now that the garage is filthy, his father had told him, you're gonna spend Saturday cleaning it instead of being out with your friends. Maybe this little task will remind you to keep the garage door shut. This was hardly a little task. It seemed like there was a solid half inch of brown dust caked on the concrete floor of the garage. It would easily take him all day to get the place back to the way it was. Liam's feet slipped on the wet floor. He caught himself. I gotta be more careful, Liam thought. I'd hate to fall and crack my head on this. He picked up the hose again, adjusted the spray nozzle into a jet stream, and launched another assault of water onto the dirty floor. Another mini tsunami pushed a wave of muddy water across the garage. The water seeped under some old boxes in the corner of the garage and then disappeared. Strange, Liam thought. 
where did all that water go? After he moved the old moldy cardboard boxes from out of the corner, he made a discovery. A door. A tiny cast iron door approximately three feet by three feet in diameter lay in the floor. Liam heard the water seeping through the cracks of the door and drip down into somewhere unknown. But what was even more strange than this hidden door was the old padlock that locked it. The lock looked stained with about 50 years worth of rust. That's about the age of the house, Liam thought. Why has this door been locked all this time? And who has a hidden door in the floor of their garage anyway? Liam doubted it was any kind of storm drainage. Besides, storm drainage is usually a grill, not a door. Where did this lead? Only one way to find out, Liam said aloud. Opening his father's toolbox, Liam grabbed a hammer. He took the tool back to the little door on the floor and banged on the rusty lock. Whack, whack, whack. It only took three hits on the lock with the hammer to break it open. It was so old and rusted. Liam put the hammer and broken lock aside. He moved the latch that held the door in place and then tugged on the handle. The door creaked open. A hinge of spiderwebs clinging to the bottom of the door stretched and snapped. The webs were as thick as carnival cotton candy. And then the smell. The pungent smell of moist dirt, mold, and decay. Liam held his nose. On the back side of the rusted iron door, there were scrape marks, hundreds of them, dug into the metal. They look like scratches, thought Liam. Like someone, or something, was trying to scratch their way out. The thought of this made the tiny hairs on Liam's neck stand up on end. Then he heard something down in the deep, dank hole. A pitter-patter kind of sound, like tiny feet, hundreds of tiny feet scurrying about. Liam peered down into the blackness. He saw nothing, only heard it. Opening his father's toolbox again, Liam grabbed a flashlight. He took the light back to the hole in the floor and shined the beam down. Liam saw that this wasn't a hole, but a concrete tunnel. Was this part of the sewer system or something? There was movement. He shined his light down upon it. The floor of the hole? It was alive. It moved. Rats. Hundreds and hundreds of rats made up the floor of the tunnel with black matted fur, stained yellow teeth, and long, sharp claws. Their narrow black eyes caught the light of the flashlight and reflected back red, giving them a demonic appearance. They all moved in unison like an electric current. And then, all at once, the rats stopped and peered up at Liam with their fiery eyes. Liam dropped the flashlight, grabbed the iron door, and slammed it shut. He reached for the lock, the broken lock. And then he could hear it, faint at first, then growing stronger. Scratching. The rats were scratching on the bottom of the iron door. Then the door bumped. They were trying to get out. Liam searched around for something else to lock the door with. He could find nothing. Then he decided to make himself the lock. He would stand on the door. Surely his weight plus that of the door would hold the terrifying rodents at bay. But Liam was too late. The door sprung open and the garage floor was littered with a few dozen scurrying rats all scampering toward him. He grabbed the hose, aimed it, and fired a jet stream. Eleven rats surfed backward on the wave of water, wiping out back down in the hole. Then, twice that many rats climbed out of the hole as reinforcements and attacked. The powerful hose could not hold them back any longer. Liam dropped it and ran. He went for the back door of the house, but the rats had already cut him off and were starting to surround him. The camper. Liam's dad had his pickup truck with a camper on top parked in the driveway. He tried the truck door, locked. Running to the back of the camper, he found that door locked too. There was an aluminum ladder on the side of the camper leading to the roof's luggage compartment. 
Rats can't climb a ladder, Liam thought. Certainly not a metal ladder. There's nothing for their claws to dig into, not like wood. Liam grabbed the first metal rung and flung himself upward. He was soon on top with a quick effort. He peered over the side of the camper. The driveway was a carpet of moving, mottled black. Its thousand black beady eyes gazed up at him. Can't get me up here, Liam said. No way you can climb up a metal ladder. Liam was proven wrong. The rats did climb the ladder. They leapt up the metal rungs one after another, climbing over each other, forming their own living ladder of grasping claws and frantic bodies. They raced up. Liam was trapped. Liam? He suddenly heard. Liam, are you alright? Liam opened his eyes. His father stood over him. Y you okay, son? Looking around, Liam realized that he was laying on the floor of the garage, clutching the hose in one hand and the push broom in the other. His backside was soaked with muddy water. What? Liam asked. It looks like you slipped on the wet floor and bumped your head. His father inspected the back of Liam's head. Huh, no blood. Good. Liam rose. I think I'm alright, but I had the weirdest dream. There were rats. Rats everywhere. Rats? His father asked. Huh, that is weird. Speaking of weird, want to see what I found? Liam's father moved some old moldy cardboard boxes from out of the corner of the garage. Look, he said, a door. A tiny cast iron door approximately three feet by three feet in diameter lay in the floor. An old rusted padlock locked the door, a lock that looked stained with about 50 years worth of rust. Liam's dad grabbed a hammer. Whack, whack, whack. It only took three hits on the lock with a hammer to break it open. No, Dad. Liam warned. Do not open that door. Liam's dad had already done so. Hey, Liam, come look at this, his father said. It's a tunnel of some kind. A hidden tunnel. And the floor, it looks like it's moving. I gotta admit it, beloved listeners, I think rats are actually kinda cute. But, you know, one rat, not hundreds of them. When it comes to a pack of attacking rats, I get a serious case of the heebie-jeebies. And that's not okay. But do you know what's more than okay? The fact that R.L. Stein Story Club has the best fans in the world. Our merch is selling like hotcakes, and I'm so proud to flaunt my Story Club threads in solidarity with all of you. Be sure to pick up your Story Club t-shirt, hoodie, or cap at gokidgo.com if you haven't already, and join our awesome army of phantom lovers. It's October, people. We're obviously all gonna wear our Story Club styles for Halloween, am I right? After all, this is our month to shine. And, of course, join me back here tomorrow for another eerie episode after you pick up your scary swag at gokidgo.com, because every R.L. Stein Story Club member needs a little fright every day. Ivy out! Go Kid Go! This egg cream is delicious. I wish the chocolate syrup inside wasn't so expensive. If you'd like to save some shekels and have some fun at the same time, make sure you tune in to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.